0: As Keith just mentioned, we live in a time uh, that can easily lead to anxiousness and worry and stress and fear. As he said, the different violence, the different riots, the different looting across the country, uh, the the unknown with the election and what that's going to look like in the future, and the different scares of COVID kind of constantly in front of our faces. And all this kind of combines to an uneasiness that this potential disruption of what we're used to, this uh, disruption of the norm. And on top of this, you have your own personal situations of, of, that's causing anxiety and worry, circumstances and people, uh, situations that may lead to sleepless nights or where your, your mind is constantly thinking about this, this situation, this, this circumstance, so that when you're not doing something, that's what your mind defaults to. And this stress and anxiety just kind of swirls in you. And so this morning, uh, we're actually going to look at a, kind of a large chunk of scripture in Luke chapter 8. And basically, what we'll see is three different scenes with four miracles. And the reason we're going to look at all these together this morning, is because there's a common thread through them all, and it's this faith amidst the fear. We'll see fear, we'll see a call to trust a call to faith, and we'll see the authority of Jesus Christ through this all. And is this not the story of our lives? Uh, I don't know if you will be shaking your head. Is this not the story? Some hardship comes, some difficulty comes, some stress, some anxiety, and we're there and we're being overwhelmed, we're being stressed, and we're begging God, what is going on here? What are you doing? And then there's, we, we hear this call, trust, have faith that I'm in control, that speak, God speaking, that I am good, that this is going to be worked out for good. This call to trust. And as we, we gaze upon Christ and who he is, we grow in that trust. I don't think it's a matter of if this is going on in your life, but at what stage are you at? What point are you at in this? And I'm sure we all can relate to this in some way, in some part of our lives. And so this morning, we consider faith amidst fear, And the sovereign Jesus Christ. And the hope is, as we continue to gaze in the face of Christ and see His sovereignty, His goodness, His love, that we'll be able to take another step of trust, of letting go of that situation that's causing anxiety and worry, thinking that that's going to help us prepare or whatnot, and trusting that Jesus Christ is sovereign, He is good, and He's loving. So if you have your Bibles or you don't, there's a should be a Bible in front of your pew. If you open up to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, and last week we looked at uh, kind of the first part of Luke 8, one, verses 1 through 21, that was the parable of the sower and everything that go, went with that. And this morning, we're going to finish up Luke 8, and some of you may be like, wow, it's a massive chunk. It is. It might be our biggest chunk yet. But I think Luke purposely puts it together with that common thread of faith amidst fear. And so Luke chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 22. And we'll see in this first part as we go through it, the fear, the situations that are causing anxiety, stress that's causing this. We'll see this. So verse 22, Luke writes, One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they, sa- they sailed, he fell asleep. Being Jesus, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And I'm sure with how many of us go fishing and are on the lake, we, we probably have stories that have a similar take of we're dying here. There's water coming in. And we have the setting here, the the lake or the sea that they're referring to is the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is known. It's known for storms descending out of nowhere with no notice. And part of the reason is because the Sea of Galilee is kind of like in a bowl. The actual sea is far below sea level. And then there's hills like like a bowl around it. And so uh, if you're a weatherman, I'm not, but the way it was explained, like the cold and warm air, just the way it's set up, they collide right above, and then the storm just comes. And so it comes out of nowhere, and it's set up very well for these storms. And then we see here they took off Jesus, fell asleep on the way, and then a significant windstorm came. Remember, a big portion of these disciples, they're professional fishermen. They've been on this lake their whole life. And they were terrified. And so we know that they've probably gone through a lot of storms, and they were absolutely terrified. And you can just hear this frantic begging in Luke's description when they're like, Master, Master, we are dying here. We're going to be dead. And what a contrast. The disciples are frantic, thinking their lives are done. This is it. There's no hope. And Jesus sleeps with no fear. And how much of us have that, are are so worked up with this anxiety and the fear over these situations that we do have sleepless nights so we're not even able to sleep. And how many of us in these situations sometimes wonder, has God fallen asleep on me? Or that he's so distant. Where is he? And sometimes your life is like that huge storm where the water is filling in. Uh, Some translations might say they were overwhelmed with this coming in, overwhelmed with anxiety and worry pouring in, levels of discouragement and despair coming to these terrible levels. Let's leave that there and jump to the next scene. Verse 26 They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, I'm in 27, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he wore no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds, and he driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked them, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the sea bank into the lake and drowned. Then their herdsmen saw that what happened. They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. There's a ton here. There's a ton. I'm not going to even try to pretend I'm going to cover it all. But I want to focus on a few things. Number one, you have this demon-possessed man. He has erratic behavior. Breaking chains, being driven to the desert, not having any clothes on, living among the tombs. And there, we see here this immense power demonstrated by these demons. This man is at the complete mercy of these demons. Complete mercy, complete control. And yet Jesus steps on the land out of the boat and this demon-possessed man cries out before Jesus, falls at his feet, begging him multiple times. You see, he begged Jesus not to torment him, but rather to cast out the demons into the herd of pigs. And we see it was only by the permission of Jesus Christ that the, the demons went, only by the permission of Christ. So the power of these demons, which was unbelievable to this man, was completely impotent in the face of Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And in this situation, we see two instances of fear. Number one, we have it with a demon-possessed man who falls down at Jesus' feet. And the other one, we see it among the herdsmen and the townspeople who come out, that they were afraid, they were seized with fear. But they are not resolved the same. The demon-possessed man in his fear, it leads to the man being saved from the demons. The townspeople in their fear leads them to distance themselves from Christ, even to Jesus to get away from here. And so you have a choice right now in the midst of your fear, in the circumstances causing you anxiety and worry, whatever that is. You have a choice. You can choose to allow that fear and worry to continue to weigh you down, wave after wave, as we know it comes in, of fear. Have you thought about this? What if this happens? What if this? And this anxiety that comes, and it can create more and more felt distance between you and God. Or you can choose to trust God in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of this fear. Choose to trust Him. And we'll see this continue to develop. But now come with me to the next scene. Verse 40. Luke 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And so you have Jairus. A ruler of synagogue with only one daughter, and she is dying, 12 years old. And this fear and this worry drives him to the feet of Christ, begging Jesus to come to his house. And you see this thread of people just begging, Jesus, please. And Jesus goes, but then there's an interruption Picking back up in 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a, a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, The crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. See, we've got this woman in this next scene who's had this blood issue for 12 years. No doctor has been able to help her. Uh, commentators if you're interested at all uh, they suppose or suggest that she has a a uterine hemorrhage and that's what's causing this but the important thing to understand from this is in god's law specifically leviticus 15 because of this blood that she's unable to stop she's she's ceremonially unclean and what was important about that is she is not able to go into the temple that she was unclean for the worship of god On top of that, this added an awkwardness with other people because if they came in contact with her, they would be unclean for a time. And so you have this woman for 12 years. She hasn't been able to be a part of the worship of God together with the people, and she probably has not been around many people, been able to fellowship with many people. But we see this action of faith by her, by touching Jesus' garment. We've seen time after time so far that Jesus has healed people by touching them. And she supposed, and she was confident, if I just touch his garment, I'll be healed. Exactly what we see in Acts, even with Peter. And when this happens, Jesus asks to touch them. And I absolutely love Peter's response. Peter's like, everyone's touching you, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about, man? Everyone's touching you. He says, the crowd is pressing on you. And you ask who is touching you? But Jesus says that this was different. Power's gone out from him. It, it, Jesus isn't saying that he doesn't know what happened, but he's making an emphasis here. Something was different about this. Something happened here. And the woman was healed, we saw. And it says when she saw that she was found out, she was no longer hidden. She came trembling before Jesus and confesses what happened. And Do you see this pattern of this people coming for Christ, falling down, Begging? This, this, this circumstance of fear, four of them, the disciples of the fear of the storm, the demon-possessed man fears, and the townspeople fear as well. You have Jairus fears for the life of his daughter, and now you have this woman fears that for she has been found out. And I'm sure we all can relate with this fear. And fear, a lot of times in, our life, in your life, may not be expressed in, while wow, I'm scared of this, but rather stress, anxiety. Worry cannot stop being worked over or upset about this situation, constantly reeling it in your mind. And there are so many things that we can be tempted to fear. We can be tempted to fear the unknown of the future with the election, with everything going on, the the unknown future. And we can have anxiety and stress of what could happen. And we worry because we don't know. And we feel this loss of security and safety, even. We're tempted to fear about our finances. Will we be able to provide? Will we be able to to pay the bills? Some of us might worry or be tempted to worry about being alone, being abandoned in a relationship, being alone. Or we're tempted to fear losing a spouse, a child. We see it with Jairus, a friend. We worry what could happen, and we're constantly having anxiety and worry over that. We're tempted to fear what people think of us. We worry and stress over what if they took that wrong or, or what could they have thought about this. And we're tempted to fear a loss of something, some kind of loss. And we're anxious about it and we worry about it. And so you, this, you here this morning and me as well, you might find yourself in a situation like this, in multiple situations that are causing this stress and this anxiety And we see that exactly in our passage today, these different scenes, this fear that's going on. And now we hear the call to faith, to trust. Come back to the disciples in the storm. Uh, Verse 24, we're going to pick up in the middle of it. And he awoke. Remember, this is right after the disciples. Like, Jesus, wake up. We are dying here. So verse 24, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased And there was calm, and he said to them, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus awakes. He calms the storm that the professional fishermen were so afraid of. They thought they were dying. He calms it by his, his spoken word alone. The disciples felt they were alone and that God was distant, but he was right there in the boat watching over them the whole time. And then the question that is just like a, a so hard to face, we ask ourselves, where is your faith? Where is your faith, Alex? Where is your faith? The disciples should have been able to rest, knowing that Jesus was caring for them. He was there with them. Uh, in Matthew 6, we, we looked at this, Matthew 6, I don't even know how long ago, but we covered it, uh, if you remember the passage of do not worry. And Jesus gives reasons why not to worry. And one of them that was really painful for me to hear at times, he says, do not worry because those who do not know God, they worry about these things. And the point being is that Christian, you have God with you. The living God, you have no need to worry Uh, those who do not know God, they have cause to worry. They have a reason to worry. But you are a Christian. You are a child of God and you have no need to worry. Jesus is with you in the boat. And so when these trials and these hard times come like the storm, a storm comes in your life, we must believe, have faith in the sovereignty of God in the goodness of God. That God is holy and completely good that whatever passes and comes to pass in our lives god means it for good he is not out to get us he is not out to get us and we need to believe that god is completely sovereign nothing comes to pass in your life that is by chance or just it just it's a coincidence nothing comes by the late rc sproul one of his uh things he would say is that there's not one maverick molecule I wish I came up with that. No, it's so good. There's not one maverick molecule in all the universe because if there was one, we would not be able to trust God in his promises because that one maverick molecule that's not under God's control, what if that one molecule is what stops me from being provided for by the promise or what stops the peace in my life, that one maverick molecule? But praise God, there is not one maverick molecule. God is completely sovereign And if we're honest, sometimes that still doesn't, that doesn't, we we still struggle with that, if I'm just being transparent with you, especially when things do not go how we plan. Come with me back to the former demon possessed man, verse 38. The man, verse 38 here, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, being Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So look at this. This man that was formerly demon possessed and sounds like a horrible life. I, I, we can easily assume that, right? He's saved from these demons and he comes and begs Jesus. This, re- this man really wanted to go with Jesus. I'm sure he's like, that was amazing. I'm going with you my whole, the rest of my whole life. I'm going with you. That's what he wanted. And the answer he gets from Jesus is what we might get a lot. No. No. You're not coming with me. Instead, do this for me. And how many times do we hear that from God? Especially in these situations that cause this fear that we want it to end now. We want it to be done. We want closure and God says, no, not yet. Instead, do this. Instead, do this. And God's plan is always, always the best plan for us. And I'll come back with me to the woman who was healed by Jesus. Verse 48. And remember, this is right after she, she's, she's found out, and she comes and she confesses what happened. Verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. And if you recall uh, at the end of Luke chapter 7, the woman who was crying and uh, cleaning his feet with her hair, almost word for word what Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well, go in peace. It was her faith that made her well, her faith in Christ, her faith that was able to give her this peace. In this mist of fear and worry, she's found out. She's exposed. And imagine, just imagine the significance of that end of go in peace. This woman for 12 years was not able to go into the temple to worship God. And what a, a, a sign of distance from God. She was not able to go in the temple. And now she's made clean. And she can finally go in the temple with the people of God to worship God how much that meant to her. She's healed, and Jesus says, go in peace. Come with me to Jairus, verse 49. While he was still speaking, Jesus to the the woman that was just healed, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Try to put yourself in Jairus' feet. His daughter's dying, his only daughter, only 12 years old. She's dying. He knows about Jesus. He comes to Jesus. He falls at his feet, begging Jesus to come with me to my house. Please, dear God, come with me to my house. And there's a glimmer of hope. Jesus comes. But then there's an interruption. With this woman who's healed And right at the end of the interruption, he gets the most horrible news he's ever heard. Your daughter's dead. Can you imagine the anger and the bitterness in his heart about, he was coming to my house. He was on his way to save my daughter and now she's dead. But there was an interruption in Jairus' plans and his timing. Listen how Jesus responds. Verse 50, which is kind of the key of this passage. Verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. And so, in the moment when nothing happened in the timing of Jairus's, what he was planning, what he was timing, and it seemed all was lost, and she was now dead, in that instance, Jesus was still calling him to trust. Trust him, believe him. And the same is with us. The timing may not be what you want in the situation, but the call is still the same. Trust in Jesus. God will do his work in his timing. God is in control of the events of this situation just as he was in control of the events of Jairus' daughter in that whole situation. And as I said, verse 50 is kind of the key that ties it all together. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And if you're like me, sometimes I I hear that. I'm like, how can Jesus say that to this man who he just learned his only daughter is now dead? All the dreams he had about his daughter growing up, uh, getting married, the grandkids, all that, gone. In that instance, he heard that, it's completely gone. How can Jesus say this to him? And as we will continue to see, Jesus can say this. It's actually a command. He can because Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And he's completely sovereign over the whole situation. And that Jesus can take away the fear And this is very similar on the right before Jesus is arrested. Jesus says this to his disciples right before. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And that word here for troubled is is to stir up to let not your hearts be stirred up. Kind of like uh, we go up to the lake or pond and uh, the water's perfectly clear, you can see the ground. Then you start stepping in it and the, the mud just stirs up and now you can't see a thing as you walk through it. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. Let not your hearts be stirred up with this anxiety and this fear and this worry and the stress. Do not let that be stirred up. But believe in God, believe in me. And in this situation with Jairus, He adds a promise. She will be well. She will be well. In the same way, God has given us such precious and great promises. But look at this. I found this interesting, as maybe you do. When Jesus comes in and says, do not weep, for for she is not dead, but only sleeping, obviously referring to, this is only temporarily, she's going to be risen. They laughed at him. They laughed at God Himself. And I immediately thought of Abraham and Sarah back in Genesis when God came at separate times and literally told them, You're going to have a son. This time, I think next, this time next year, you will have a son. You will have a son. Abraham, at a different time, when he heard it, he laughed in the face of God Almighty. Sarah, when she heard it, kind of eavesdropping, she laughed at God. But when what God had said had came about, it must have stuck with them, for they called their, son, their son's name Isaac, which means he laughs. He laughs. And so we see these people laughing at Jesus. And can you imagine Jairus again? He had this hope going to Jesus, that this, my, my daughter's gonna be she's going to be saved, she's going to be okay. Then this interruption with this other woman, and then this guy says, nope. She's dead. And his, his hope crushed. And now Jesus says, no, do not fear, only believe. She'll be well. And that hope kind of come up again. And they go. And these, these people start laughing at Jesus. And like, is Jairus like, what is going on? Like, do you think some more doubt arose in his heart? Well, if they don't believe him, can I? And in the same way, in these situations, when we are are. are fighting and striving to trust God with, with the, this, this, this stress, this anxiety, we can expect temptations, uh, other circumstances, people that will try to fuel our fear. I think of Ephesians 6 where Paul says, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith that, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. One came, one wave of this fear in the morning comes. And you, you fight through, like, no, God is in control. God is good. Then throughout the day, no, the, throughout the day it's like a, it just hits you again. Another dart comes, and you have to work through it again. No, nope, I, I do not need to worry about this, because God is in control. He loves me. Nothing can separate me from his love. And we kind of see that, these waves, and we continue to have to hold to trust. And Jesus calls us to have faith in the midst of this fear and the stress. The writer of Hebrews he defines faith this way. Faith, in Hebrews 11.1, he says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And from the way he defines it, we see that there's an aspect. There is an aspect of faith that involves some sort of unknown or unseeable aspect. And what that is, as we can see here, is the promise and character of God that has not yet been worked out in this particular situation. It still has not been done. We don't see it, at least. And there's this unknown uh, aspect, but yet faith is the conviction that God's character still stands in this situation, God's promises still stands and will come about in this situation. And so faith is what we're trusting in, what we're putting our confidence in, what we're relying on, it's what we're banking on, that this this is what's going to see me through the situation, this right here, and that this being God Himself. In this, this call of faith isn't disinterested. It's not I would say it's not even our default. But it's this trust, this commitment. There's this knowing intimacy of God. And it's a battle to continue to trust. And so, as we see this call of faith in that circumstance that you're in, whatever it is, what are you trusting in? Where's your confidence in? Is your confidence really in that God will keep you, He will keep you, or is your confidence merely in the repeated pattern of the past, and then you just expect it to be the same in the future, and that's what you're kind of relying on? Is your confidence really in that God will provide in this situation, whatever it is? Or is your confidence really that you can rest that night because uh, you think that you have enough money in your bank account that will cover any emergency that happens? That's what I'm relying on. Is your confidence really in God's word and, and praying and imploring God through prayer for the salvation of family, friends, co-workers? Or is it in, in, in your ability to persuade your methods? And so we have this call of faith. Proverbs three five: trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding faith amidst the fear the anxiety the stress and this comes to our, our our last point here we can have faith because Jesus is absolutely worthy of that trust coming back and finishing up the the, the accounts of the storm verse 25 just as, this is just right after Jesus calms the storm. Verse 25. And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? That he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. And I find this incredibly ironic. Because they're in the storm and they're afraid. Jesus calms the storm and now they're afraid of him. What is going on? But who would not be? They're, marveled, they're amazed. Who is this guy? Who is this guy that was just sleeping next to us? Move on to Jairus. Right after the people laugh at Jesus, saying that she's just asleep. This is just temporarily. Verse 54, But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what happened. And so the parents are amazed their child who was dead, Jesus Christ brought her back and they received her again. A very small note, just because it might arise a question, why is it that Jesus charged them to tell no one? Why is it that he said not to do that? And what we can see from here is because Jesus did not want his focus of his ministry just to be the miracle worker. That was not his purpose. And we see that in John especially, people just chasing Jesus for these, these miracles, and that's not what Jesus wanted. Rather, the miracles point to who Jesus is and what he's come for. But so we here we have it. There's a lethal storm on the lake. Jesus rebukes it, and it calms immediately. There's a demon-possessed man that cannot be contained even by chains, and he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he, Jesus casts the demons out. There's a woman with a bleeding issue that no physician can cure or heal and she only touches the garments of Jesus', uh, his, touches his garments in faith and she's healed. Then there's this daughter of the ruler synagogue who dies and all hope is lost. But Jesus comes and raises her from death into life. This Jesus calls you to believe in the midst of the situation you are in. And he is worthy of that trust. Why? Because he has all the authority and he has all the power. He has authority over nature and creation. He has authority over demons and the spiritual world. He has authority over all diseases. He has authority over death itself. All of these we are almost completely powerless against. All of these. Yet they bow at the feet of Jesus Christ. And so you can have confidence and not fear in whatever situation you you, you are in. Because Jesus is king, he is sovereign, and all authority and power has been given to him. This, this passage kind of opens up, verse 25, during uh, the storm. And the, the disciples ask, who is this? We kind of get answers through this passage. Verse 28, from the mouth of the demon-possessed man. Jesus, he is the son of the most high God. The mouth, in verse 45. He's master the mouth of uh, uh, the mouse in verse 49. He's the teacher. And in here, he is Lord. He is Lord of our nature, demons, disease, and death. He is absolute Lord. So we can trust him. We don't need to have fear because this Jesus is in the boat with us. This Jesus draws us to him. This Jesus is accessible that we can come to him. And this Jesus comes with us. He hears us and he comes with us. So we don't need to fear because Jesus is king. He is Lord and he's Messiah. And so this morning... This calls to you and to me. Trust him in the midst of whatever's giving you anxiety and worry and causing and fear. And three quick things. As we are striving to trust Christ, number one, actively cast your anxieties on Christ. As we see from first Peter 5 7, casting all your cares on Christ, all your anxieties on Christ. And as they continue to come back and well up, continue to cast them on Christ because we know it's just wave after wave you have to work through and you cast that on Christ. Number two, as you strive to trust Christ, pray. Philippians, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your quest be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not miss praying with thanksgiving. And the only way we can do that, praying with thanksgiving in this hardship, to even thank God for this trial is that we know that God is sovereign. He, nothing comes to pass in our life that has not come by his sovereign decree and because he is good. He is completely good. Number three is to preach to yourself what you know of God. When those ways of temptation to fear comes, preach to yourself. What do I know about God? God is good. God loves me. His, his grace is far greater than my, my sin. He is completely sovereign, and he's working whatever this is, ultimately for my good and his glory. So whatever we're, we're, you're carrying today, personal situations, the, the, the stress and anxiety with the, the unknown, with the election, with COVID, we can bring that to Christ. And lay that burden down because Jesus is king. We can trust him. And this isn't trite. This isn't cliche. This is reality. Whether we believe it or not, Jesus is in control and he is good. Therefore, have faith, trust in him. Do not fear, but believe in him and his promises. Pray with me. Father, Lord, how good it is to hear that you're in control. And Lord, how hard it is to believe that in the midst of all this stuff going on I, in all of our lives, all these things, that only only the individuals may know what's going on. And Lord, we just pray, help us, God, to trust you. Father, may you just ingrain in our minds your sovereignty over all, your goodness and love. Lord, help us, God, this morning. May we walk out this morning knowing that whatever we're in, as the waves of temptation to fear and to continue to be anxious in our hearts to be stirred up, that we can have that to, to be settled like you settled the storm with your word. We see in your word that you're good, that you're sovereign, that you care for us and that you will never forsake us. So Lord, we, we, we thank you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.